Section Zero of the Battle of the Books. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Battle of the Books and Other Short Pieces by Jonathan Swift. Introduction. Jonathan Swift was born in 1667 on the 30th of November. His father was a Jonathan Swift, sixth of the ten sons of Reverend Thomas Swift, vicar of Goodrich, near Ross in Herefordshire, who had married Elizabeth Dryden, niece to the poet Dryden's grandfather. Jonathan Swift married at Leicester Abigail Eric, or Herrick, who was of the family that had given to England Robert Herrick, the poet. As their eldest brother, Godwin, was prospering in Ireland, four other Swifts, Dryden, William, Jonathan, and Adam, all in turn found their way to Dublin. Jonathan was admitted an attorney of the King's Inns, Dublin, and was appointed by the benchers to the office of steward of the King's Inns, in january sixteen sixty six he died in april sixteen sixty seven leaving his widow with an infant daughter jane an unborn child swift was born in dublin seven months after his father's death his mother after a time returned to her own family in leicester and the child was added to the household of his uncle godwin swift who by his four wives became father to ten sons of his own and four daughters godwin swift sent his nephew to kilkenny school where he had william congreve among his schoolfellows in april seventeen eighty two swift had entered at trinity college as pensioner together with his cousin thomas son of his uncle thomas that cousin thomas afterwards became rector of puttenham in surrey jonathan swift graduated as b a at dublin in february sixteen eighty six and remained in trinity college for another three years he was ready to proceed to m a when his uncle godwin became insane the troubles of sixteen eighty nine also caused the closing of the university and Jonathan Swift went to Leicester, where mother and son took counsel together as to future possibilities of life. The retired statesman, Sir William Temple, at Moor Park, near Farnham, in Surrey, was in highest esteem with the new king and the leaders of the revolution. His father, as master of the Irish rolls, had been a friend of Godwin Swift's, and with his wife, Swift's mother, could claim cousinship. After some months, therefore, at Leicester, Jonathan Swift, aged twenty-two, went to Moor Park, and entered Sir William Temple's household, doing service with the expectation of advancement through his influence. The advancement he desired was in the church. When Swift went to Moor Park, he found in its household a child six or seven years old, daughter to Mrs. Johnson, who was trusted servant and companion to Lady Gifford, 
sir william temple's sister with this little esther aged seven swift aged twenty-two became a playfellow and helper in her studies he broke his english for her into what he called their little language that was part of the same playful kindliness and passed into their after-life in july sixteen ninety two with sir william temple's help jonathan swift commenced m a in oxford as of hart hall in sixteen ninety four swift's ambition having been thwarted by an offer of a clerkship of one hundred and twenty pounds a year in the irish rolls he broke from sir william temple took orders and obtained through other influence in january sixteen ninety five the small prebendary of kilroot in the north of ireland he was there for about a year close by in belfast was an old college friend named warring who had a sister swift was captivated by miss warring called her verena and would have become engaged to marry her if she had not flinched from engagement with a young clergyman whose income was but a hundred a year but sir william temple had missed jonathan swift from moor park differences were forgotten and swift at his wish went back this was in sixteen ninety six when his little pupil esther johnson was fifteen swift said of her i knew her from six years old and had some share in her education by directing what books she could read and perpetually instructing her in the principles of honour and virtue from which she never swerved in any one action or moment of her life she was sickly from her childhood until about the age of fifteen but then grew into perfect health and was then looked upon as one of the most beautiful graceful and agreeable young women in london only a little too fat her hair was blacker than a raven and every feature of her face in perfection this was the stella of swift's after-life the one woman to whom his love was given but side by side with the slow growth of his knowledge of all she was for him was the slow growth of his conviction that a text of giddiness and deafness which first came when he was twenty and recurred at times throughout his life were signs to be associated with that which he regarded as the curse upon his life his end would be like his uncle godwin's it was a curse transmittable to children but if he desired to keep the influence his genius gave him he could not tell the world why he refused to marry only to stella who remained unmarried for his sake and gave her life to him could all be known returned to moor park swift wrote in sixteen ninety seven the battle of the books as well as the tale of the tub with which it was published seven years afterwards in seventeen o four perrault and others had been battling in france over the relative merits of ancient and modern writers the debate had spread to england on behalf of the ancients stress was laid by temple on the letters of phalaris tyrant of agrigentum wotton replied to sir william for the moderns the honourable charles boyle 
of christ church published a new edition of the epistles of phalaris with translation of the greek text into latin dr bentley the king's librarian published a dissertation on the epistles of phalaris denying their value and arguing that phalaris did not write them christ church replied through charles boyle with dr bentley's dissertation on the epistles of phalaris examined swift entered into the war with a light heart and matched the ancients in defending them for the amusement of his patron his incidental argument between the spider and the bee has provided a catchphrase sweetness and light to a combatant of latter times sir william temple died on the twenty seventh of january sixteen ninety nine swift then became the chaplain to lord berkeley in dublin castle and it was as a little surprise to lady berkeley who liked him to read to her robert boyle's meditations that swift wrote the meditation on a broomstick in february seventeen hundred he obtained from lord berkeley the vicarage of Lorakcor, with the living of rathbegin also in the diocese of meath in the beginning of seventeen o one esther johnson to whom sir william temple had bequeathed a leasehold farm in wicklow came with an elder friend miss dingley and settled in Laracor to be near swift during one of the visits to london made from Laracor, swift attacked the false pretensions of astrologers by that predicted of the death of mr patridge a prophetic almanac-maker of which he described the accomplishment so clearly that partridge had much ado to get credit for being alive the lines addressed to stella speak for themselves Candenus and vanessa was meant as polite and courteous admonition to miss hester van homry a young lady in whom green sickness seems to have produced devotion to swift and forms that embarrassed him and with which he did not well know how to deal h m the bookseller to the reader this discourse as it is unquestionably of the same author so it seems to have been written about the same time with the tale of a tub i mean the year sixteen ninety seven when the famous dispute was on foot about ancient and modern learning the controversy took its rise from an essay of sir william temple's upon that subject which was answered by w wotton b d with an appendix by dr bentley endeavouring to destroy the credit of aesop and phalaris for authors whom sir william temple had in the essay before mentioned highly commended in that appendix the doctor falls hard upon a new edition of phalaris put out by the honourable charles boyle now earl of ory to which mr boyle replied at large with great learning and wit and the doctor voluminously rejoined in this dispute the town highly resented to see a person of sir william temple's character and merits roughly used by the two reverend gentlemen aforesaid 
and without any manner of provocation at length there appearing no end of the quarrel our author tells us that the books in st james's library looking upon themselves as parties principally concerned took up the controversy and came to a decisive battle but the manuscript by the injury of fortune or weather being in several places imperfect we cannot learn to which side the victory fell i must warn the reader to beware of applying to persons what is here meant only of books in the most literal sense so when virgil is mentioned we are not to understand the person of a famous poet called by that name but only certain sheets of paper bound up in leather containing in print the work of this said poet and so of the rest the preface of the author satire is a sort of glass wherein beholders do generally discover everybody's face but their own which is the chief reason for that kind reception it meets within the world and that so very few are offended with it but if it should happen otherwise the danger is not great and i have learned from long experience never to apprehend mischief from those understandings i have been able to provoke for anger and fury though they add strength to the sinews of the body yet are found to relax those of the mind and to render all its efforts feeble and impotent there is a brain that will endure but one scumming let the owner gather it with discretion and manage his little stock with husbandry but of all things let him beware of bringing it under the lash of his betters because that will make it all bubble up into impertinence and will find no new supply wit without knowledge being a sort of cream which gathers in a night to the top and by a skilful hand may be soon whipped into froth but once scummed away what appears underneath will be fit for nothing but to be thrown to the hogs End of section zero read by Elijah Fisher.